This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. We've got mean text coming up at 545, so you guys still have plenty of time to get creative at 866-979-3776, powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. So go for it. See what kind of damage you can do. You can take shots at whoever you'd like. Uh, Lefko's trying to push you on to Dave because Dave's not here, but I would say just go ahead and take that anger and point it toward Lefko. Uh, but, yeah, we're all here. We're all here for you. Uh, Emerson Hancock of your Seattle Mariners will join us at 5 o'clock. Make sure you stay tuned for that conversation. We'll see how he's feeling about things after uh, just a handful of appearances last season and uh, entering spring training once again. So uh, Emerson Hancock joining us at 5 o'clock. Meanwhile, uh, we do this every every week, a couple times a week. Take a listen to some of the conversations going on and the other shows at the station. We call it Best of the Rest. We know you love listening to us, but there are great discussions happening all over our station. I need more Jake Bobo. I need more of them. Because Jake Bobo is objectively fun to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not good at bats. Just things. Not... Let's tone it down. It's time for the best of the rest. How dare you? <laughs> best of the rest. Taking a listen to some of this stuff happening in Brock and Salk, happening with Bump and Stacy, and we'll uh, we'll get everybody pointed in the right direction if they didn't do it in the initial conversation. Uh, this is interesting because yesterday, uh, I think it was yesterday, Dave, either yesterday or day before, somebody sent in a text about where I was saying, you know, I, I fully admitted I had not watched J.J. McCarthy this year outside of just seeing highlights. I wasn't, you know, parking it in front of the TV to watch Michigan games every week. And that the national title game was the first full game beginning to end I watched of him this season. And I walked away kind of going, eh, he was 10 of 18, 145 yards, I think. Had some big runs. Certainly had some big runs in that game. Uh, but it, just in terms of a quarterback, I kind of walked away going, yeah, I, I wasn't dazzled. Apparently, Salk wasn't either. Uh, wasn't Isn't dazzled with him because somebody sent in a text that said, well, now I know if, if Bob and Salk are on the same side of an issue, I'm yeah. going the other way. So <laughs> let's go get J.J. McCarthy. Well, Salk had said the same thing that he goes, you know, I really just watched two games of his, which probably you the same thing, yeah. the Rose Bowl and the National Championship. Yeah. And so in those two, he wasn't very impressive. And, yeah. you know, that's our takeaway from him. So yeah. I think that's where you guys are coming from on that. Yeah. And I said, well, I get it if you if you feel that way about Salk's take, but I'm always right. So um, you, you should follow what I say. Uh, but here are this is Brock and Salk yesterday discussing why they're starting to come. Now, was Brock anti J.J. McCarthy as well? Because no, the way this is labeled implies that they're both starting to come around on J.J. McCarthy of more of like he could be the Seahawks pick. I think okay. Brock's always been more. So they had Joel Clad on this week last. I don't know. They had Joel Clad on recently. And Joel Klatt and Brock were kind of more on the same page of J.J. McCarthy will be a good pro quarterback. Mm. I think they're coming around to the fact that this could really be an option for the Seahawks at number 16. Okay. Well, here here they are talking about how they're starting to come around on, on McCarthy. Yeah, those numbers on Michael Penix were kind of hard to hear a little bit. And you know how much I like him and, mm -hmm. you know, was so impressed with everything he did this past year, really the last couple of years and his arm strength and all of that, his accuracy his decision-making, but, you know, the NFL game does involve a lot of throwing on the run. Yes. Uh, does involve a lot of off-schedule kind of stuff, and as mm -hmm. I hear all of that, mm -hmm. and you tell me that his, his completion percentage in those moments was in the 20s? Yeah. 
yeah, I'll admit that uh, that definitely got me a, a yep. little bit. So, yeah, I bet you you will see an what's called an adjusted completion percentage, kind of like with with baseball and in these, you know, what do they call them? XB expected batting average and expected run score. Mm-hmm. They do make an adjusted number to try to eliminate some of those throwaways. But right. even with that, Salk, when it is that that much separation from you lot. and some of your peers, that's a lot. Yeah, and I and I will admit that uh, maybe it's listening to Joel Clad, and maybe it's the number you just gave me where his completion percentage in those moments is in the 70s. Mm-hmm. I am starting to feel the J.J. McCarthy thing a little bit. Uh, out of these guys, Salk, he's the one non-volume guy. All, the, all of these other guys, honestly. They were all volume guys in college. Drake May ran an up-tempo, totally spread system. The ball is in his hand every single play. Jaden Daniels, Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, we saw throw it 61% of the time, lead the country in passing the last two years. Mike, J.J. McCarthy, J.J., you're going to run it? You're going to play pass? And then on third down, you got to be a difference maker. Doesn't that kind of sound like what McDonald wants? Hmm. Yeah, and and listen, you know, and I said this before. I'll say it again. My my assessment is is very limited in terms of what I've taken in from JJ McCarthy. And if 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 they draft him, all my faith is in John Schneider. If he if they evaluate and and to a lesser extent McDonald, we don't have a track record with McDonald, mm-hmm. so I don't. It's hard for me to go. I believe in whatever he says. Well, and he doesn't either. He's never made this decision. Exactly right. <laughs> so I'm I'm leaning towards you know. John's evaluation. This is a guy who they, they found Russell in the third round. This is a guy that went out and scouted Patrick Mahomes and wanted to, you know, maybe take a run at him and, and Josh Allen. They went out and scouted him. So they, they're they in on it, and I think he knows exactly what he's looking at. So if at 16, play the hypothetical, Seahawks draft J.J. McCarthy, we go, all right, I'm riding with John on this one. I may not, may not be sold just based on my very limited view of him. So I'm going to trust the guy that's probably gone on there, gone in there and watched game tape from every moment of his college career, talked to all of his coaches, talked to trainers, talked to teammates, talked to high school coaches, just done the due diligence. I'm going to I'm going to defer to that guy. And if they pick him, I'll be on board. But just on the surface, when we're looking at it, I don't get excited about J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, I think you just watch any Michigan game, not even the last two. You watch any Michigan game. And you would not come away thinking this is a guy that can come into an NFL offense and just be dominant. But I do like what Nick Baumgartner told you guys is that J.J. McCarthy was running the exact offense that he was supposed to run. That's what uh, Jim Harbaugh wanted. That's what Michigan wanted. They did not want him standing back there and throwing 61% of the time. And and that's fair. If he's being asked, here's exactly what we want you to do, and he's executing that, good on him. He's completing over 70% of his passes. Right. But are they... Little five yard dump well, offs as he chucking it down the field. Did you watch much of Michigan this year? Yeah, and I didn't have the analytical eye to say, well, yeah, that guy's got great arm strength. I mean, he completed his key passes. He looked great against Ohio State and he won them the national title. So he did everything he needed to do. Right. This is where it will come down to that true, not us, not our texters who are so knowledgeable, the true analytical scouting mind. That's sarcasm. Of NA, maybe. That's NFL sarcastic. GMs and their scouts to say these skills will translate. We did not see this on tape of him dropping back and throwing 40 times a game, but senior bowl tape, combine, talking to him, this is a guy that his tools can translate to the NFL level. So if they draft him, I think it's because they've seen something and they've talked to him and that that, regardless of college numbers, translates well. Yeah, I'm just looking at his attempts here. Let's see, 332 attempts, completed 72.3% of his passes. That's nice. I mean, that's a great yeah. great completion percentage. He only threw for 2,900 yards. That's not He's not He's not throwing it uh, a ton, obviously. Much fewer in the way of attempts, uh, decidedly fewer in the way of yards. 
22 touchdowns, four picks. So he's taking care of the ball. Uh, you compare that just Penix, who led the nation, 4,900 yards. So he's got 2,000 more passing yards, but he also threw it 555 times compared to what I say, three. Yeah, three something. Yeah. So he's got almost 200 more attempts. But then he's got 36 touchdowns compared to 22. He's got 11 picks compared to four. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, we're watching every last moment of Penix and have a very good feel for the kind of quarterback he is. Now, whether that translates at the next level, we'll all find out together. Same with Bo Nix. Bo Nix is a guy, put the ball up a bunch, threw for 4,500 yards, had 45, 45 touchdowns and just three picks. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. I know he plays for the Ducks, and you, you're always a little hesitant to give – give them too many kudos but my goodness 45 to 3 touchdown interception ratio he completed 77 77.4% of his passes wow that's impressive that's impressive so um yeah he, he so he's he's surpassing the uh the completion percentage obviously of of JJ McCarthy I don't know where bone I haven't paid a ton of attention to where it seems like he's after the group there's mm-hmm. the, the the big 3 JJ seems to be the fourth in most of these mock drafts. And then I've seen Bo Nix and Penix kind of close together second round in a lot of these. What's interesting, though, is that, you know, some people, the CBS draft that you sent and Nick Baumgartner, who told us, they have even McCarthy going before the Seahawks. So it oh, might, yeah, might be a moot point. They had him at 12 to for the all this discussion. Yeah. And in that case, if four quarterbacks go before you draft at 16, do not take a quarterback. You're not taking the fifth best quarterback with your first round pick and saying, yeah, here are the keys to the franchise. Unless for some reason, something just completely blew you away. But if he's the fifth quarterback taken, there's probably a reason for that. Would you take Bo Nix? Not in the first round. No, absolutely no. not. Especially with all the needs the Seahawks have. I mean, this can be a discussion for the next few days and weeks. But Do you, do you have the same level of faith in John as I do where you're you're saying emphatically, no, no, they, they've got much more pressing needs. But what if he does take a quarterback? Are you on board or are you going, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, I'd say, what are you doing? And then hopefully be proven wrong. I'd be very surprised just knowing what we know about these drafts and the, the way the Seahawks uh, evaluate. I don't think that would happen. But if they do, it would be like you guys talking about when Jordan Brooks was picked. Well, they don't need a linebacker. Oh, wait, they just drafted Jordan Brooks. Hey, that turned out to be a pretty great pick. Yeah, yeah. They've done that a couple times. Devin they, Witherspoon. Oh, well, that was the best pick they made. So I remember when they drafted Kristen Michael and we're going, <laughs> And somebody had asked us, we were doing an appearance, Graz and I were doing yeah. an appearance at a bar, and it was, you know, who do you, everybody's coming up, what, what do you think they'll do? And I'm like, who knows with the Seahawks? But the one thing you know they won't do is take a running back, because at the time they had Marshawn, I think they had Turban, they felt like they were loaded. And then their first pick of the draft, second <laughs> round, Kristen Michael. I'm like, well, blew that one. So, uh, yeah, you never know. You never. That's the other part of having John totally in control. Obviously, McDonald has a huge voice in this, but... The, the power that, that was sort of split between Pete and John isn't there anymore. So are we still going to have those surprise picks where you're going, wait, who? James Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Who's that? LJ Collier. What? You know, I'm, I'm just curious if we're going to have some of those kind of picks. We'll, we'll see. This is going to be an interesting year, to say the very least. All right, moving on. Bump and Stacy on Wednesday, uh, talking a little baseball and talking about what the expectations in their mind should be for the Mariners this season. Every team is going to have a platoon somewhere. Yeah. Every team is going to have depth concerns somewhere. Every team is going to have injury liabilities somewhere. You know, when you listen to what David Schoenfield had to say, for what Jerry DePoto and Hollander clearly had to work with this year, which by all accounts it sounds like was a reduced payroll and reduced budget lower than what they were expecting. I think that they gave us a team that we can once again enter the season going expectation is playoffs. Now my question for everyone listening, and I'll start with you, Bump and Curtis, feel free to chime in. 
The expectation is playoffs. Should the expectation be win the AL West? Go ahead, Curtis. I I mean, with as close as they were to winning the AL West last year, and, I mean, Houston has made a couple of moves to improve their standing. Texas kept everything more in-house. They're banking on the production of Evan Carter and I think Wyatt Langford this year to propel them forward. But, I mean, the division is still up for grabs, even though you've got the two reigning World Series champions right ahead of you. I mean, the Mariners should be making every effort to win the division because it's it can be theirs if if everything goes right. Bump, what do you think? Should winning the AL West be the expectation? It should be. Mariners have gotten better, so has everyone else, right? You should be in the mix, right? You should be in the mix at the end of the year, and that's what you want, essentially, because you know that if you are in the mix at the end of the year in the AL West, you are one of the better teams in the majors. Yes, expectations should be for me to compete for a division championship. If you are competing there, you will be competing elsewhere and hopefully sneak into the playoffs. I felt like they didn't answer the question. Is the expectation to win? That's a yes or no. I expect them to win, and if they don't, it's a disappointment. Right? That's a, I expect them to compete, of course. That, that's the goal, as they were saying. They covered all the other areas. Yeah, it should be the goal. You should be in the mix. But the expectation, like playoffs, my expectation is you get to the postseason or I look at the season as you failed. That's how I viewed last season. Now, if there are catastrophic injuries along the way, okay, that's that's a different story. But if for the most part, it's a typical baseball season where your stars are there for the, you know, Julio's healthy the whole year and Kirby and, and Logan Gilbert and your staff for the most part. Maybe they miss a start or two, but you're relatively healthy. You, this should be a playoff team. You should get that. Should be the expectation. That's my expectation. As far as winning the division, do I think they're on par? And I, I realize how close they were with the Astros and Rangers last year. Uh, but just looking at their roster versus those two rosters and saying, I expect them to win. I expect that they are a better team by looking at what they have assembled. They are a better team than the Astros. They're a better team than the Rangers. No, I don't. I don't feel that. I feel like you're competing for a wild card. That doesn't mean they can't win the division. Those teams could underperform. Those teams can suffer big injuries to key players. Who knows? Who knows what happens? It's a long season. But going into the season, is that my expectation? Like, if you don't win the division, it's a disappointment or it's a you failed? No, that's not how I view it. So here's the thing. I think, now they have to get there first, but I think the Mariners are better equipped in a much better built team, and this was the case last year too, they're better built to win in the postseason than they are over the course because of the entire of regular season yeah. because the rotation shrinks because they're pitching. So, yeah, I don't care about the distinction between winning the division or making the playoffs. But is that your expectation? The expectation the is question. to make the playoffs. I think, the, what did they say, division? I, yes. I don't really care. I think expectation is to make the playoffs because it can be the same thing as winning the division. The World Series champion Rangers did not win the division. Mm-hmm. And they were fine. They went on the road. They beat two very good teams. The Orioles won the division. They had the one seed. They had the bye out in their first series. So in baseball, it's so much different than in the NFL where it's critical to win the division because you get that home playoff game. If you're not the one seed and we've seen that, hey, maybe that's kind of a disadvantage for some teams to get that bye over everyone else. Just get in. Just get into the playoffs. Yeah, the Dodgers have not done well. In fact, every team has failed at that except the Astros. The Braves, when they got the one seed, they lost right away. The Dodgers, the Orioles last year. So the one seed is outside of that. You know what? I don't care if you're winning the division because you might 
get 95 wins and say the Astros get 101, that's still a pretty successful season. So, yeah, my expectation, get into the playoffs, see what happens from there. But do you feel like, answer the question, though. Is your expectation that they win the division? Because that, to me, is saying, I think they're better than the Astros and the Rangers. They should be winning the division. Well, I think they can still be better than those two teams without winning the division. Because at the end of the year, I, I understand what you're that. saying, but I'm just, I don't I'm think just they answering win the, the division. Question. No, I think the Rangers win the division. Okay, so I think the Rangers are better over the course of a season, right? But that doesn't concern me as much because I, in the I get all that. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're answering something different there. I'm just uh, their initial question yeah. where you said, "Is it, should it be your expectation to win the division?" And then, then no, yeah, that's that's where I'm saying. I'm saying my expectation is they get to the playoffs, and I think they do it via wild card, barring. Something big happening injury-wise with with those two teams. Uh, all right, uh, let's see. Brock and Salk on Wednesday, we're talking about the back to the Seahawks. Is is coaching change, all the changes they made, obviously, uh, the entire staff, of, essentially, is that enough for the Seahawks to get back to being a Super Bowl contender? And I do think it applies to the DK question or the Geno Smith question, mm-hmm. right? I, I mean, essentially, for me, this comes down to, do you think changing coaches is enough to take this roster from being somewhere in the okay to good category to being great. Do you believe that a coaching change is enough? That by itself is enough to make this team great. I don't. It's not a shot at Mike McDonald or his coordinators. They may do a great job. But I don't think just a coaching change is going to take this team from where it was to where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So once you accept that premise, and maybe you don't, that's fine. We don't have to. We don't have to agree on it. But if you agree with me that 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 just a coaching change is not enough, mm-hmm. it may take doing something a little bit more drastic, a little bit more outside the box to try to significantly change this roster. That's another spot where I think I'm going to differ with some people. I don't consider, and I've said this many times, and you're free to disagree with me, but I personally don't consider wide receiver to be at the same level of importance as many other people do. Mm -hmm. It's okay if we disagree on that. Mm -hmm. If I were building a team, I wouldn't spend as much or put as many resources into the wide receiver position until I was very confident that what I was doing up front was spectacular. Yep. yep. A lot of people how, how many how that. many Super Bowl how many Super Bowl champions have been led? Very few. How many Super Bowl champions have been what? Led? Uh I might have cut that off a little early there. Um what <laughs> Um but yeah, the, yeah. The, I mean, he, I okay. He Brock was saying how many Super Bowl chances have been led by a wide receiver? Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, yeah. That's to me, it's all subjective and coach to coach, and it depends on their offense and how crucial it is to have a a, a DK Metcalf, a Tyreek Hill, uh, situations like that. But it, it's, I, I I tend to agree with Salkin that I look at the roster, and he's talking about next year. So the, he sounds like he's kind of on board with me, expecting them to be better next year. He's talking about are they good enough to get to the Super Bowl next year just based on the coaching change alone. No, I agree. No, they're not. Now we have no there's so many questions on the roster in terms of free agents, linebacker, they don't have any linebackers. So we have no idea who's going to occupy those spots. You know, all these different free agents that they have, who's going to two of your three tight ends are free agents, your linebackers are free agents. You've got free agents on the O-line, on the, on the D-line. So who knows what the roster looks like? So if we're just looking at it as it was constructed last season and saying, all right, the only difference is you you got rid of the entire coaching staff, you brought in this coaching staff, is it good enough now based on that move to get to the Super Bowl? 
Well, I agree with Salk. No, I don't think they well, are. You're not going to agree with his larger point. I think they brought up that topic because it was building off the trade, DK, trade Mac- DK. Yeah. DK Metcalf. So yeah, that I that's the larger with. point of the coaching change isn't enough. So in order to get better, to get to the Super Bowl, you're going to have to trade DK Metcalf or do something drastically to I- improve the roster. Mm-hmm. So the expectation of, well, just because you brought in this coaching staff means you should win, right? Well, hold on. You have crippling roster issues that you need to vastly overhaul. So I think... That's where you might stray a little bit differently than Salk and the fact that his larger point might have been that, hey, Mike McDonald's going to be a good coach, but unless you trade DK Metcalf or unless you do something to free up cap space, no matter who you put in there, you could put mm. Bill Belichick in his prime in there, you're not winning a Super Bowl with this roster. So that's a tough mm. one to look at because then, yeah, we get into the discussion of, well, what do you have to do? How do you vastly improve this roster if a coaching change isn't enough? And I think that's kind of unfair in year one to say, well, now they have to win the Super Bowl. I think you have two years of roster building. You can get there. I mean, we've seen a lot of second-year head coaches get to a Super Bowl. Sean McVay got there in his second year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Sirianni got there in his second year. So Mike McDonald and this staff, I think they could. Well, yeah, I don't think you have to make any drastic moves to do that. No, because you're talking about taking over a winning team that, right. that has won the past two years, was in the playoffs year before last, missed it by a game this year. And you're not... Often coaching changes, you're looking at a coach coming into a disaster. Like, Panthers. well, this team is vastly under underperformed. They're they're a mess. You got to come in here and clean this up. That that's where I get the all right. It may feel like a step back before you start stepping forward because this guy's got to come in here and clean this entire plate of crap up. That's the McDonald coming into the Seahawks situation is is not that. You got a team that's good. They're not great yet, but the, it's a good team already. It's a team that's that's right there on the the edge of playoffs each year. You know, this isn't you're taking over a two-win team. So he's starting ahead of what most new coaches, when there's a change, are are starting at. So I think they get better next year, even if it's by a game. Maybe it's by a game. Maybe they have the same record, but you just look at where they where they rank. And I, I, we'll take a look at how tough their schedule is. But you look at where they rank defensively, where they rank offensively. Maybe all those numbers improve doesn't amount to another maybe they're nine and eight again who knows but it represents some improvement and the tackling's decidedly better but tough schedule what have you it's a nine win team again then the next year is where the expectations truly kick in i just expect them to improve next year i don't i'm not saying well you're taking over a juggernaut you should be in the super bowl next year but i do expect them to improve and i don't think that's being unrealistic and that kind of leads into more of what we're going to get into next. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> not, right. to da- not to Dave you here, not to wyman it up and spoil Look everything. Ahead. But yeah. yeah. Uh, what questions do you still have after hearing from John Schneider yesterday? We had our first conversation of the season with him, and we'll talk to him every Thursday moving forward until the, uh, night one of the draft. But we're going to get into that next. What do you still have that you're questioning? After hearing John Schneider yesterday. That's coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Text line is there for you. 866-979-3776. Powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Coming up at 5 o'clock. Emerson Hancock of your Seattle Mariners will join us on the program. We've got mean text coming up at 545. So Matt's texting some in about me right now. Is he? I, I wouldn't blame him. You should have heard Lefko just shout at him in a really demeaning, just demanding way Very during, during the commercial break. I send mean texts to people who are mean to me. I think that's <laughs> what the segment really should be. 
<laughs> Just trying to uphold Dave's uh, chair here. <laughs> uh, but you guys are welcome to send in the, any mean text you've got. Just be creative. That's always, if you're new to the program, that's our only request. And keep it clean. Otherwise, we got to edit on the fly. Mm, sometimes yeah, I don't that, like that it's it's yeah. Sometimes it gets in the way. All right. Meanwhile, we we talked about our first conversation. The John Schneider Show happened yesterday. We will talk to him every Thursday. Uh, between now and April 25th, the first night of the draft, in which we will talk to him that day as well. Um, so a lot to cover between now and then. But episode one, was there anything Schneider said, mentioned, whatever, that you either had one reaction one way where you said, man, I like hearing that. I really like hearing him say that. Or he said something where you go, I don't feel so good about that comment, whatever it was. Now, I can't think of any in there that, that hit me that way, but that doesn't mean somebody else didn't. So curious if you, uh, first of all, if you heard the conversation, if you didn't, it's on the podcast page at seattlesports.com, or I believe you can watch it on YouTube, right? Yep, under the Seattle Sports YouTube. Yeah. A nice, uh, nice chunk of views already, so keep yeah. it up. Yeah, Thank check you. it out. You can watch him talk, or you could go to the podcast and just listen to him. I, think I, like, watching's the, uh, better. I like the outfit he was rocking. Very casual trucker. Style. Yeah, it was. It was. I, I didn't see it. I know his hat said Broncos. It wasn't the Denver Broncos. It was something else. I couldn't tell what it was. I, you're right. That's a good question. I was trying to study that. Couldn't really pick up what it was. Yeah. Well, watch the video. We'll you tell us. A few more times. Tell us yeah. what it is. But uh, yeah, so if you didn't catch it, you can catch it on YouTube or catch it on our uh, podcast page at seattlesports.com. But if you did catch it, text in if there was anything you heard, again, that made you feel really excited or optimistic or you loved hearing that from him or if there was something on the other side uh that that caught you the wrong way i guess but he talked about one of one of the areas of disagreement that dave and i have and and, and actually lefko and i have as well he and he and dave are on the same side of this and that is with with mcdonald coming in new coaching staff you both feel that there's reasonable uh, I guess a reasonable reason to think they take a step back before they take a step forward. They could be worse next year. They could be eight and nine next year, perhaps, or seven and 10, something along those lines where I'm on the other side saying, I expect them to be a better team than they were last year, which was nine and eight. Uh, and again, they, maybe they have the same record, but you look at where they rank in all these defensive categories and maybe they take a big step up and it's the schedule. It could be a lot of reasons, but I expect to see improvement. That's what I expect. I, I don't expect a step back and then a step step forward. And we brought that up with John just in terms of what his expectations were. And, you know, I don't know if this is, you know, I, I don't know if a guy in his position is going to go, well, you know, it's likely we're not going to be as good next year and then we'll get better. So don't don't panic. I don't I don't expect to hear that from him. But he he, gener- he looked when I asked him about that, he kind of gave me a look like, no. You know, it, it seemed genuine, and it wasn't like this is what I'm supposed to say. And here he is just talking about not taking a step back and trying to, you know, at the same time merge all these new ideas and philosophies together. I don't feel, you know, like a step back. I think, you know, when you have all these these new ideas and, and this, like, attitudes, the, the challenge for us, not attitudes, uh, philosophies, right, ways to teach, uh, schematics, what, what have you, all, all, the, all, the, all the, like, kind of coach speaking, you know, football talk that goes in to this all the football knowledge all, i think it's going to be you know everybody coming together of course it's going to take time it's going to take time for everybody to get to know each other and that sort of thing but i think really when you look at it how can we like bring this together and really merge this as quickly as we possibly can you know we have have I'm not sure where where he was going next but yeah he he was going to reveal the secret he was going to give us the secret yeah. sauce to this whole thing yeah so he 
He's basically in. There was a cut we played earlier where he said, "Listen, I've been a part of coaching changes, and he doesn't see a reason for them to take a step back." And he talked about, you know, what what I had kind of said. Well, why don't I play it rather than paraphrase what he said? (laughs) This is the other part of him talking about not taking a step back. The coaches at this time of the year are usually going through, you know, getting ready for free agency. They're kind of getting some names for draft draft guys to study, right? So I'm sure there's going to be a little of anxiety from that point of view for the coaching staff but hey look it's like hey we got that right now we'll get caught up with that later let's get this staff together let's 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 build this continuity and 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 build this whole philosophy that we're going to be you know working through together and then then that'll come together now how fast that like you know i think i think based on the open lines communication the way it's gone so far i I don't i don't i don't see a lot of hindrances to uh you know what would lead to success on uh, on the field i don't i don't look at it like and i have been through coaching changes Mm -hmm. and so you know it's like oh you gotta take that i don't i don't feel that i i could see where people would think well you know you know know, people are gonna have to just yeah everybody's gotta adjust but everybody's gotta adjust every year and if you're not adjusting you're falling behind yeah, and he, he's right in that. And that, to me, is the most obvious part of the statement is every year is an adjustment for a pretty big group of players mm-hmm. and sometimes coaches. You're changing coordinators, you're changing position coaches, but every year there's an influx of new faces, whether it's free agents that you sign, whether it, 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 the combo of rookies and free agents and you know big-time signing of veteran, even veteran players. They come over here, Leonard Williams, he's, he's like, ah, took me a game or two and I learned the defense. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it is an adjustment Unfortunately, he starts in the regular season, whereas these rookies and free agents that they're going to sign, whoever these are and whoever they draft, they're going to get the benefit of of OTAs and mini camp and training camp. And, you know, that's where they're going to learn. That's where I'm going to learn this for the guys that have been here before that now have to learn. They've got all that time to learn the new terminology and oh when he says this it means go this way or when he says that it means to do this it's you know or however confusing the new offense and defense is or isn't it's just going to be different I feel like we're maybe overestimating how much it's going to how long it's going to take them to pick it up yeah maybe it's not second nature in game one of the regular season but I don't think it's long before you you get it like this is this is how this defense is run this is how we run this offense I did solve the most important issue. Uh, his hat. It took a little zooming in. I went full screen. Boise State Broncos. Boise State Boise Broncos. State. So the okay. color scheme similar to Denver, but yeah, Boise State. Yeah, I saw somebody on social media last night say something about, I can't believe he's wearing a Broncos hat. Is he trying to get Russ to come back or something like yes, that? Yes, that's the reason. Like, they they yeah. got it. That's the exact reason. And by the way, I don't think a Broncos gear is going to lure Russ anywhere at this point. He's going to run from it. Yeah, I, I think my – it's not a concern necessarily about you know the coaching staff and all the – the merging of ideas and everything that's new. It's more of that. The roster has some significant questions that have to be sorted out mm-hmm. and they are behind a little bit in what John said of, yeah, this is not a typical off season or a few weeks behind. Now, does that affect their decisions? Probably not, but it also gives them something else to have to worry about. And he mentioned that anxiety mm-hmm. right now. I just, I don't know how this roster will shake out sitting here, February 16th, when we have the Tyler Lockett salary question we talked about. You have Leonard Williams as a free agent who's going to command a lot of money, expected in the high 16, nearly $17 million range. No linebackers that we keep talking about. Mm-hmm. You do you do not have a guy who played at linebacker for you last year who started a game on your roster right now. Bobby Wagner, free agent. Jordan Brooks, a free agent. The looming Jamal Adams question, because he commands such a significant portion of your salary cap, and you really don't know what to do with him either. He didn't play the last couple of games. So for a first-time staff taking over, it's a team in good shape, but it's got a lot of roster uncertainty. For me, 
leads me to think that you can't take an apples to apples. This nine and eight team will look the exact same as this team next year until mm. those are all sorted out. That's right. the apprehension and just kind of question I have sitting here in February that might be resolved by the time we hit training camp. Yeah, and I I, I have faith that they'll get it that they're gonna they're gonna occupy those spots with with the right people whether it's bringing guys back or maybe they go out and get Patrick Queen who knows maybe they get uh, Matabike out there that that'd be just fine by me as well and they're gonna know that I think that'd go a long way if they could get one of those two guys that goes a long way into teaching anybody that was here last year you know from the old terminology and scheme to the new one. They can, they can really help with that learning curve. They can he- help speed that up, certainly. All right, coming up, uh, there's, some fascinating, there's a fascinating option for a potential landing spot for Russell Wilson next season. We'll hear about that when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial. Every afternoon at 4.45 with Wyman and Bob. We're all getting excited about Mariners baseball, especially because it uh, looks like great weather down there in Arizona. We'll be there in three weeks. We'll do our show down there for a week. Uh, Scott Service spoke to the media. Yeah, well, I'm not even going to mention that, Bob. Come on, it's a Friday. We're getting excited. Not even going to consider the fact that it'll be bad weather. It might be. It's not possible. It's not possible. It can't be. It's Arizona. It's always going to be sunny. Uh, Scott Service was speaking to the media yesterday for the first time this season, and he said, you know, kind of pleased with what our front office did to build a roster, especially given the limits they're working with. I think the things that we've done here over the last six weeks, two months, a fantastic job um, by both Jerry and Justin understanding, you know, maybe some of the obstacles we're up against and trying to figure out how to make it work. And it wasn't easy. A lot of creative ideas get thrown around by not just those two guys, but everybody in the front office coming up with ideas on, on how to get our team better. You've heard me talk forever. My players have heard about it. You know, it doesn't matter what you did last year. you got to get better. I, I agree with what they've been able to do with uh, severely limited resources. And on top of it, you didn't give up Miller or Wu. I think we kind of went into, at least I did. I'll speak for me. I went into the offseason fully expecting we were going to see one of those guys moved. Yeah. I really did. Um, I I like what they did with the with the roster with the lineup. There is the huge caveat. I keep, I feel it's necessary to keep throwing it out there. You got a lot of injury concern attached to your your big pickups: Polanco, Garver, Haniger, all with pretty extensive injury history. So, uh, Hanegers are the more out of the ordinary. But yeah, so it's it's a big if if these guys can stay healthy. This is, to me, a it's certainly a better team than they were last year. And we talked about, yeah, maybe I don't feel like they're as good as the Astros and Rangers, even though they were, you know, neck and neck at the end of the season for the division. I think they closed that gap, though. I really do. And I, I don't know if I expect it to be neck and neck again, because I, I, part of me felt like the Astros and Rangers kind of underperformed toward the end of the season, that they were better than maybe it, it allowed them. The Mariners got hot. They, they took some steps back here and there. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. But ultimately, I think it's a better roster. And I do, I agree with what they've been given to work with, which is less than they thought they were going to have. I think they've done a nice job. Well, I also don't think we've given enough to the other side of the injury coin of, yeah, the, the lineup might be injury prone, but it's tough to imagine and knock on wood because, yeah, certainly anything can happen. It's tough to imagine the Mariners pitching staff going through as much attrition as they did last year. 
they were bringing up Easton McGee, who then got hurt. And Emerson Hancock had to come in. He was great for one start, but no part of their plan was to bring up Easton McGee, let alone Brian Wu. Maybe not Bryce Miller for no. as long as he pitched. So to have all a. those guys yeah. and then Emerson Hancock, who we're going to talk to coming up. So with the injury attrition they had pitching wise, if that comes back to normal, if it comes back to something better and more capable of what they had to deal with last year, that helps you as well. So that in conjunction with the the improvements they made, I think, yeah, this could be a much more exciting team than uh, what we went into last season picking. Sweeping the dial. Strange situation right now. I really don't know where Russell Wilson's going to end up. The, uh, the end in Denver seems imminent. I mean, he got benched. Uh, some weird stuff came out about Sean Payton and then Denver wanted him to take a pay cut. So this morning on Get Up, Mike Tannenbaum and Dan Graziano offered some opinions on where Russell Wilson might end up next season. If Russell Wilson was saying right here, this is why I disagree with Graz and Tim Hasselbeck. We said, Russell, what do you want to be known for? Like, you want to be a Hall of Famer? Like, to Bart's point, he does not want to go out the way he did last year, and money shouldn't matter because he's getting $39 million, and that's why if I'm him, I'm going to the Combine, I'm going to sit down with Mike Tomlin, I'm getting the deal done, and let's go, and then go draft my replacement, but he that's the play he needs to run if he wants his legacy to be different than what it is right now. And I still think there's a possibility that come September, he is in fact sitting right there. <laughs> <laughs> sitting right where? Like on the first take set. Or the get upset. Like he doesn't have a job. Oh, really? Yeah. So they're saying get with Tomlin and the Steelers. Or nothing. I can't imagine him not having a job. However you feel about Russell Wilson as a person or you don't, you don't like how he exited Seattle, that's all fair. That's fine. The reality is he's still better than a, a good portion of the starting quarterbacks in the league. Do you think he wants to be a backup, though? Like a genuine question. I don't think he wants to be a backup. He, was, he, he wasn't talking about him being a backup in No, but in like, that's why it might be it's Pittsburgh or nothing. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't I don't see him saying I'm going to be a backup. I don't. I can't imagine that, as a matter of fact. I'd say absolutely not. Yeah, me either. I don't think so either. <laughs> the so more that, we keep that talking could about limit it, the no, options. No. I mean, that could drastically limit the options of where you're going to go. Yeah, I mean, it depends on where he's willing to go because there are spots that you could look at where their quarterback situation right now and go, eh, I don't know about that. Who's Atlanta's quarterback? Is it, It's not Desmond Ritter. Do they believe in him? Could he go to Atlanta? Could he go to, to the, well, the Steelers? Is it not Kenny Pickett? About the Falcons? It's it's uh, Raiders, I mean. So you got the the Falcons, the Raiders, the Steelers. To me, there are a number of teams you could look at and go, yeah, he'd, he'd be an improvement. He didn't be an improvement over what was there. Yeah, it's the contract. It's the fact that some of these teams might want to draft a guy. So we'll see. I, it was just kind of a maybe a throwaway line there by Dan Graziano. Like, yeah, he's going to be sitting here with us and not have a job next year. But that's going to be a fascinating, underrated part of this offseason. I just hope for our guy, Jake Heaps, he has a job next year yeah, because I think point. that's how he remains employed. Sweeping the dial. I did, by the way. Uh, so the Seahawks hired Jake Peets as their passing oh. game coordinator. And I texted Jake yesterday saying, are you coming back? Is this an alias? Jake Peets sounds a lot like Jake Heaps. Did he respond to you? Did he, he say, said, I'm uh, on my way? Yeah, he goes, eh, that's the knockout version. Like, joking. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, one thing that certainly happened last night, Caitlin Clark broke the all-time NCAA women's scoring record. Here comes Clark. How will she go for history? There it is! The all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball. 
She threw it from the, the logo a couple steps over midcourt. Yeah, that's some range. My goodness. <laughs> I was like, I was watching the highlight. I didn't watch the game, but I was watching the highlight. And I'm like, damn, she's got range. She put up, what, 49 points, I think, in this game? Is that what she ended One, with? I think 41. Maybe. I think she uh, might have been more. Anyway, she, this girl can play. This girl can play. She breaks Kelsey Plum's record, um, and she did it in in not dramatic fashion yeah, like it was the 49. Yeah, 13 rebounds and five assists, too. She's ridiculous. And I, I love, first of all, I love that she's, she's kind of a smack talker out there. She's very she's very uh, animated when she makes shots. She kind of does the flex, and she's out there chirping. And then last year, when they when they got beat, and the girl was like uh, Angel Reese, yeah, yeah doing the doing the hand gesture. She was the first one to go, nah, it's all fair. Like, people got mad about that. You know, in the media and fans, some fans got mad. Like, oh, you shouldn't do that. And Caitlin Clark was the one who was like, no, that's she should. She should do that. She's going to get that a lot, too, because Nebraska, they upset Iowa this previous Sunday. Yeah. And a girl hit a big three and did the same did the thing. the same thing. Not I saw in that. her face, but like the same running gesture. backwards. Yeah. So yeah. she's going to get that. Uh, I think it's wild. And it is unfortunate. Hey, it was Kelsey Plum that had her record broken. But what's crazy is. There's a lot of theories out there that Caitlin, Caitlin Clark might come back for a fifth year because everyone got a free COVID year. She was mm. a freshman in 2020. And with NIL money, what it is, she might have a better career in college than she would going somewhere in WNBA or pro basketball because there are so many lucrative offers for women's college athletes at the top of their game. Are there? Yeah. I was just going to add, I'm wondering. So there's NIL a gymnast money. at LSU that has, rakes in a ton of money and in a basketball crazed state like Iowa for what she's done to them. There's a popular school of thought that she's coming back for another year. I guess if so she's, she's going to even further break that scoring record or yeah, set a new one. I yeah. guess I can't blame her if she's making that kind of money or more than she would at the pro level. Go ahead, keep dominating, keep doing your thing, and bloat that record. But that was that was a pretty cool way to beat it, yeah. chucking it from just a couple steps past midcourt and at home. Yeah, because on Sunday when she was getting close to it, she finished eight points short. That was on the road at Nebraska, so yeah. very cool to see her do it at home. All right, sweeping the dial is powered by Seattle University men's basketball. Coming up, Emerson Hancock is healthy and ready to build off of his MLB debut last year. We're going to talk to him about all of it. Coming up next, it's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.